0: Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, how the pandemic is changing everything about how and where we shop and work, gaming addiction, and fake contact tracers trying to make a buck on everybody's shared misfortune. All this and more coming up. Millions of people have been working from home since mid to late March, but now some companies are going to make that permanent. San Francisco-based Twitter says they're giving employees the choice to work from home all the time. And it's not just big tech companies making the change. Fortune Magazine's Jeff Colvin has the story.
1: It's Nationwide Insurance, based in Columbus, Ohio, with employees all over the country. In early March, it moved 98% of its workers to working from home, and the company's seen no change in its key performance indicators. Customers say they can't tell the difference, so Nationwide plans to shrink from 20 office locations pre-crisis to just four. CEO Kurt Walker says those four offices will be staffed by volunteers, at least until the pandemic passes. One tip he's learned from the employees, when you start your workday at home, put your photo badge on, and when you end your workday, take it off. Psychologically, it allows you to start and end, and also let your family know when you're at work and when you're not. I'm Jeff Colvin.
0: But we're not just working more from home these days, we're playing more at home as well. And when that play involves video games, there could be some big problems that follow, especially when it comes to kids.
1: A new study suggests video game addiction is not only real, but affects one in every ten gamers and can result in mental, social, and behavioral issues. The study, conducted at Brigham Young University in Utah, looked at the long-term impact of spending longer times playing video games, as we may now see with schools closed and social distancing. Ten percent of adolescents surveyed were deemed pathological gamers who had difficulty disengaging from games and experienced a disruption in healthy functioning. Jim Chenevy, CBS News.
0: For more insight into video game addiction,
2: I talked to University of Akron psychology professor Dr. Tony Bisconti. If you look at the brain structures of individuals who need to be gaming versus individuals who need alcohol or drugs, they look very similar when they're going through withdrawal. And that's another kind of component of understanding a behavioral disorder is the withdrawal. And so, you know, the same parts of the brain is being is being impaired. So, if I'm a parent and I'm listening to this and I've got kids who are really
0: into gaming, how would I ever be able to tell what's okay and what's not? And then what do I do if it crosses the line and becomes not okay?
2: I think the first thing that you want to do is look at the gaming prior to it becoming an addiction. So, right from the start, I think we need to have monitors on our kids' phones, on our kids' iPads, certainly on gaming consoles so if you look at parents who put controls x amount of time per day use it as a reward as opposed to okay you're bored you can go game for seven hours but hey did you eat did you get your homework done okay i'm going to let you have half hour of screen time you'll see that addiction rates are lower in individuals like that So even though it may seem harmless, well, they're not purchasing anything, they're not outside getting in trouble, they're not breaking a law, so on and so forth, you really need the control and monitoring right from the start. If that doesn't work. And we've now run into someone that we think might have a problem and and parents are listening thinking, well, I'm not sure if my kid has a problem. You got to ask yourself those kinds of questions, which is basically, are they able to dislodge from gaming when they're in social interactions? Do you have times in which they are like, needing to game, so even though we're out, we're doing something with the family, they wanna go home, they wanna game, they're excluding doing family and social activities to go back and do that. The other thing you have to look for is if they need to do it in increasing amounts. So think about it like a chemical addiction, right? If I only needed one cigarette a day for the rest of my life, okay, that's probably not too much of a problem. But if I go from one to two to 10 to a pack, that's a huge problem. If they do it a half hour a day, that's probably not a problem. If they go from a half hour to an hour to two to four to they're not sleeping at night, then there's a whole host of problems. What should parents do if they start to recognize there's a problem you probably need some intervention it's probably more than you as a parent can do and there you'd want to go to a child psychologist someone who specializes in behavioral disorders or behavioral addictions
0: some people are actually leaving home now that many states have cautiously begun to allow people to go back to work. It's just that when they get there, things are going to be very different. For example, as Jeff Gilbert reports from Detroit, in auto plants.
1: Expect more spacing, more sanitation, everybody wearing masks, and some auto workers given even more protective gear. GM CEO Mary Barra says they've already been doing this in Asia and in American plants, making medical gear. Where our coronavirus safety protocols have been in place. We have not seen a confirmed case of community spread in our facilities. Board Chief Operating Officer Jim Farley says they've put together a playbook for reopening their plants. The new industry is America's economic engine. It's critical that we get this restart right. Production will ramp up slowly over many weeks. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News, Detroit.
0: However, it's not all going as planned. Thousands of workers at a Ford assembly plant in Chicago were forced to leave early on their second day back on the job this week after one worker there tested positive for COVID-19. WBBM TV's Charlie DeMar reports.
1: All these people crowded on top of each other. Ford providing video highlighting some of the updated health changes from temperature checks and reconfigured workstations. We caught up with employees like Michael Hopper. I lost a brother, Mace to the coronavirus wearing his ford issued face mask. Hopper along with others describe an experience inside the plant that doesn't sound or look like that polished video. I clean my own workstation myself.
0: York City wants travelers to be safe on its subways and buses. So the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, the MTA, is experimenting with some brand new technology. WCBS-TV's Maurice Dubois has the story.
2: The agency unveiled an ultraviolet light pilot
1: program to get rid of COVID-19. 150 mobile devices will be rolled out on subways, buses, and other city transit facilities starting next week. The devices flash UVC rays capable of eliminating all the viruses they see. These rays are so strong they cannot
2: be used while people are on board.
0: And of course, like with any other crisis, there are sleazeballs out there trying to take advantage of the situation to rip people off. CBS correspondent Paul Violas explains that some of them are posing as virus contact tracers, and he tells us how to tell the difference between those who are legit and those who are not.
1: Contact tracers will contact individuals by phone. They will not text you. Also, if you are ever asked for credit card information, social security number, marital status, immigration status, or any financial information, it's fraud. And also, if you get a text, and this is what a lot of these frauds are doing right now, they'll send a text and they'll ask you to click on a particular link in order to complete the form. That's fraud. You see, either one of those, don't open them. Don't pay attention to them. The best thing for everybody to understand is kind of look at a blackboard and look at an individual to the top of the blackboard that they know has you know, contracted COVID-19. They're going to interview that person and say, who have you been with? Who have you sat down with? Who have you been close to? And let's say they get two or three names. They'll contact those people. That's the tracing. And they'll ask them what their signs are, if they're you know, symptomatic, et cetera, and treat that accordingly or if they've been in touch with other people. That's the intent behind the contact tracer, is to put our arms around the full web of who may be symptomatic to this. That's the intent of that. That's why tracers will typically only ask for, besides the name, date of birth, address, gender at birth is a question they're always asking, and ethnicity. That's what they're going to be asking. So if you're getting any other questions other than that, clearly this is another example of how nefarious individuals are using the cyber world to perpetrate fraud.
0: And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.